Hey there, Crimeholics. It's your host, Kenzie. Welcome back for another Friday episode. If you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join a Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. We offer two really great platforms for people just like us to be able to connect. And that is the place where we share all of our brand new episodes for the week. Before we get started, I want to give a big shout out to Melanie from Florida for submitting this case. Melanie said that she first heard about Mary Yoder's story years back and the verdict had left her puzzled. It's one of the more high profile cases covered in the last seven years and all of the characters involved in this case left detectives with a whirlwind of an investigation. Mary's case is full of revenge, love, grief, and anger. Dr. Mary Yoder grew up in upstate New York in a household with five sisters and two brothers. Mary's sisters all described her as a beautiful, full of energy, fit, and the type of person who wouldn't let her age stop her from participating in triathlons. As a popular wellness guru, Mary lived in a tight-knit community of Whitesboro, New York with her husband and business partner, Dr. William Yoder. Mary and Bill met in college in 1975, and they owned and operated an upscale chiropractic clinic together for over 28 years. They also shared three children, Adam, Tamron, and Leanna. As a respected healer in the community, along with being a very, very loving mother and wife, Mary was deemed popular and well-liked by those around her. Patients didn't just see her as a doctor, they also saw her as a friend and a mentor. And those that were close to Mary said that she just radiated with a sense of warmth and inner peace. On the morning of July 20th, 2015, a friend of Mary's and her patients remembered her being exactly like that. But by the time that the afternoon rolled around, they had noticed that something was going terribly wrong with Mary. Things weren't normal as they usually were, and she decided to go home from work early that afternoon, canceling the rest of her patients. She was feeling all of a sudden extremely sick and very flushed. This was very highly unlikely for Mary's hardworking and energetic nature. Later that day, Mary told her husband it was probably just a stomach bug and they had spent the night at home. Mary's sisters even said that they had faith that Mary would be fine and turn the corner overnight, describing her as literally the healthiest person they had ever known. But by the next morning, the Yoders were still concerned about Mary's condition, which had seemingly gotten way worse instead of improving, so they decided that it was best to take her to the hospital. But after staying overnight at the hospital, Mary's condition had suddenly not improved at all by the next morning. Despite doctors having faith she'd make a turn from the worst within 24 hours, Mary's condition was reported to have spiraled downward and very quickly. With her husband having to call all of their children and tell them the words that nobody wants to hear is that their mom was dying and they needed to get to the hospital right away. After their daughter Tamron arrives at the hospital, she watches her mom go into cardiac arrest several times. After doctors would restart Mary's heart, Tamron remembers seeing her mom fully intubated and barely being able to get out the words, I love you. When she was conscious, all she could remember from this day is just watching her mother say goodbye as her condition was rapidly declining. During this time, some of the absolute best medical specialists around were doing everything that they could to try and figure out what was causing Mary's unusual symptoms, except no one was able 
able to determine exactly what was wrong, and she unfortunately passed away in the hospital on July 22, 2015. Community members of upstate New York started asking questions, and people close to Mary, as well as her clients, were questioning what the hell happened here, and why did their friend and mentor, who was seemingly on top of her health game, suddenly die and in such a painful way? Prying for any answers they could, Mary's husband and kids were left puzzled in shock and in major grief, as any family who lost a loved one would be. And to make the situation more confusing, the Yoders didn't get any revealing answers at first as to why their mother, an example of perfect health, just suddenly died even after an autopsy. Prosecutor Laura Lisi said that even the doctors had a hard time figuring out what exactly had happened, and it took several specialists to evaluate Mary's condition. Eventually, they just accepted that Mary may have died from natural causes, even though she was perfectly normal just days before. But finally, in October 2015, three months after Mary's death, a rare blood test finally provided Mary's family with some much-needed but shocking answers. Mary had been lethally poisoned. Previously ordered tests had checked for the presence of toxins and other standard poisons in Mary's blood at the time of her death, but those had all come back negative. No answers were provided as to what happened to Mary until the new blood test showed that she had somehow consumed a type of medication most notably used to treat a complex form of arthritis, commonly known as gout. The drug in Mary's system was found to be colchicine. It's an extremely toxic drug if it's not taken in prescribed dosages. Poison control experts note that colchicine even in the tiniest dose can be deadly. Clinical studies report patients who've overdosed on colchicine show immediate signs of multiple organ failure, diarrhea, and vomiting. Very sadly, in Mary's case, her body reacted just like that and the amount in her system was enough to kill her within just days of ingestion. The news would prompt an investigation into Mary's death as she had never ever been prescribed that type of medication for any medical reason. After all, Mary was the huge health guru in the community and didn't even have gout and spent her time running triathlons. Why would she need to be on some type of form of arthritis medication? People questioned if Mary, an idol in the health world, would poison herself to death or if somebody had planned it. As an investigation into Mary's death eventually unfolded, detectives first looked into her longtime husband, Bill, because we always start with the spouse. At first, police thought Bill could have had a motive to poison his wife because he was more in love with one of her widowed sisters, Kathy. But despite the red flags of Bill having an affair, let alone with a family member, detectives had concluded he wasn't involved with Mary's death and he maintained his innocence. At the time, police also thought Bill might have had a motive to dip into Mary's life insurance policies, but that was also ruled out as a motive by police. And don't worry, we'll talk more about Bill and Kathy's relationship later in this episode because I'm sure you were shocked to hear that just as much as I was. After Bill was ruled out as a suspect, answers as to what actually happened to Mary and who poisoned her on July 20th, 2015 didn't seem to be progressing. But an anonymous letter sent to the Oneida County Sheriff's Office four months later would eventually lead investigators to some revealing and shocking clues, in addition to a very surprising romance gone entirely wrong. In November of 2015, four months after Mary's unexpected and agonizing death, police turned their eyes to her son, Adam. 
The anonymous letter sent to authorities had insisted that Adam played a part in his mother's murder, and investigators wanted to search his Jeep for anything suspicious. Adam was known to be incredibly devoted to his mother, so it was hard to believe that he'd want to poison her, even though he allegedly would have major fits of rage from time to time. Prosecutor Lori Lisi had described Adam as extremely smart and noted that he might have struggled with depression. But before the anonymous letter was sent to the medical examiner's office and the local sheriff's department, investigators in the case had no reason to believe that he would want his mother dead. But when police actually searched Adam's car, his jaw reportedly dropped at the sight of what he had found. When investigators were searching for any clues that would hint to Mary's suspicious death in Adam's car, they found a bottle of this same drug that was used to kill his mother. When the evidence of the culture scene was discovered on the passenger seat of Adam's vehicle by investigators, he basically dropped the cigarette that was in his mouth out of total shock. At this point, things weren't looking good for him, and to make things look even more suspicious, his name was listed under the same email account that was used to purchase the poison. But as Adam was further investigated for the murder of his mother, authorities discovered revealing news about the whereabouts around the time that Mary was poisoned. Adam was checked off the suspect list when officials had found out that he had been in Long Island more than 300 miles away spending time with one of his sisters when they both had got the call to come home because their mother was rapidly declining. Investigators said it seemed strange that Adam wouldn't have tried to remove any obvious evidence like the drug bottle in the receipt before driving to the local sheriff's office and voluntarily letting them search his Jeep. At one point when the Yoders were all super confused and very desperate for answers, both of Adam's sisters even questioned if there was a possibility their brother could have been framed by their father. It's one of the worst possible thoughts, but investigators pointed in that direction after the evidence of the colchicine was found. But besides the colchicine bottle discovered in Adam's car, authorities struggled to find efficient evidence and motives to be able to even pin it on him or his dad, Bill. After detectives were comfortable enough taking both Bill and and Adam off their suspect list, the rest of the Yoder family finally got a little bit of relief knowing that neither of their family members had been involved in their mother's murder. This was somewhat of good news for the Yoders as Leanna and Tamron had voiced several times that they were living in their own personal hell while their brother and father were being investigated. However, it still left them with no answers to how their mother's excruciating death even happened. But as time went on, the circumstances surrounding Mary's death started to look more and more suspicious. You'll remember that the detectives found a bottle of the same type of drug used to kill Mary in Adam's car, which investigators didn't forget about, even with Adam's strong alibi. So officials next turned their investigation to a woman who used to work at Mary and Bill's chiropractic clinic, Caitlin Conley. Caitlin Conley wasn't just an associate of the Yoders. She was also Adam's on-again, off-again girlfriend. Caitlin, commonly referred to as Katie by those around her, was described by officials as a typical woman in her younger 20s living in upstate New York who was viewed in the public eye as very pretty and very smart. However, at the time of Mary's death, Adam and Katie supposedly were not a couple. Prosecutor Lori Lisi described the two's relationship as very toxic, and she said that Katie would often do things to get Adam to come back to her. According to Lisi, one example is when Katie had filed false allegation charges 
for rape against Adam and further lied to him about experiencing an atopic pregnancy, claiming she had almost bled to death and that the child was his. Lisey said at the time he was briefly involved with somebody else, but as soon as she provided him this information, he immediately broke it off with the other girl and went right back to Katie, once again describing their relationship as extremely toxic. Now, the Yoder family didn't really know the extent of the toxicity going on behind closed doors in their relationship. They had basically accepted her as one of their own family members, and Katie seemed to have a really warm friendship with Mary while she and Adam were a couple. On top of all of that, the Oneida County Sheriff's Lieutenant Robert Nelson said that Katie was even identified as a loved one in Mary's obituary, so obviously she was extremely close to the family. Lieutenant Nelson also said his department had talked to a lot of different people about what their theories were surrounding Mary's death, and overall, nothing came back on Bill or Adam, but everything was pointing to Katie. Amid the horrible loss of his mother, Katie got what detectives thought she wanted, which was Adam to let her back into his life one more time. She and Adam lasted for around three months after Mary's death until their relationship turned south once more. But when the investigators decided to question Katie as a suspect, she admitted to writing the letter that authorities anonymously received that claimed Adam was the person who killed his mother. After intense interrogation, Katie told detectives that she was scared of Adam and didn't know what he was capable of, but her letter was never intended to get him in trouble. At this point, investigators were thinking it was absolutely a possibility that Katie could be Mary's killer. And while police were pushing Katie harder during that interrogation, she even claimed that Adam tried to pin the murder on her. And in a very odd move, she's heard telling a detective that boys don't use poison. They say it's a lady's weapon. This didn't prove that Katie killed Mary, but as police dug further into Katie and what her motives could be, they eventually discovered that she and Adam struggled to maintain a relationship. And to make matters look even more suspicious on Katie's end, police discovered that she had purchased cold scene the exact same type used to kill Mary by using prepaid credit cards. Forensic evidence and further investigation into Katie made her look more and more guilty. As authorities had found, she had done online research on poisons and linked her email to the account that was used to buy the vial of colchicine found in Adam's car. Also through forensics, investigators found that Katie's work computer and typewriter had been connected to the drug order. A salesperson for the drug company the culture scene was purchased under also testified in court that she had spoken with a young, soft-spoken individual at the Yoder's chiropractic clinic over the phone to make the deal. There was still a possibility it could have been Mary on the phone as she and Katie were the only two people working in the chiropractic clinic on June 20th. But the evidence was piling up against Katie and to top it off, it was her DNA found on the purchased bottle of Colchicine, not Adams. As evidence piled up against Katie, detectives eventually deemed Mary's case a class act of revenge. And when they caught her lying during the interrogation, she would respond with, I didn't mean to. Investigators also found that before Katie had deliberately planned Mary's poisoning, Adam had called things off with her for the third time. They had broken up before, but this time looked more serious than others, as he apparently blocked her and claimed that they were completely done. So the detectives have come up with the conclusion that Katie had likely envisioned that she needed to do something very extreme to get Adam back this time, and she wasn't going to do it without revenge on her mind. Katie knew Mary's routine and schedule every day. She had worked at Mary and Bill's family chiropractic clinic for four years as an office manager, and she became, as you know, a part of the family. New York Times bestselling author M.W. Phelps, who extensively studied Mary's case, said that Katie had known Mary's schedule 
like a science. He says Katie researched how and when she would be successful with her attempt to poison Mary and try to pin the kill on Adam in an attempt to seek vengeance for breaking off their relationship one more time. He says her doing the research to find the perfect drug to kill Mary was all part of the high that Katie had got out of it. Phelps said her motive was simple, taking away the one person that Adam loved most in the world his mother. Evidence would later point to Katie poisoning Mary's lunch on July 20th, 2015 by mixing the colchicine in Mary's typical shake that she had filled with almond milk and protein powder. And guess what? Just three months before Mary's death, the investigators found out that when Adam and Katie were not together, she had given him some type of supplement that was supposed to help him focus in school. But coincidentally, it caused him to have similar symptoms to his mother's and forced him to get help in the ER. Authorities thought this was another red flag on Katie's part and deemed it her possible test to see how far she needed to go to get Adam back. The officials aren't exactly sure as to why Katie chose Monday, July 20th, 2015 as the day to poison Mary, especially since she tried to pin the kill on Adam, who police found wasn't even in town at the time. Poisoning Mary would be Katie's biggest attempt yet to get Adam back, as she knew that he would be internally crushed if his mother was out of the picture. But being that his alibi checked out with authorities, Katie's attempt to pin the kill on him didn't go as she had planned. When family members and colleagues first found out that Katie might have played a role in Mary's death, people just didn't believe it. She was labeled as sweet, pretty, smart, charming, and someone who looked up to Mary as a mentor. In the beginning of Katie being investigated, Mary's sisters had said that there was no way that Katie was guilty and that she must have been getting framed. But once it came out that Katie was absolutely involved in her murder, her two daughters had stated they had a really hard time trying to wrap their head around Katie. Katie's involvement. In an interview with Adam, he can be seen breaking down in tears with just major regret over bringing Katie into his family's life. Adam spoke during Katie's first sentencing hearing that began in April of 2017, and he said, I hate the defendant with every bone in my body and every drop of my blood in my veins. He also goes to say, as much as I hate her, which is more than I ever thought I would be capable of hating anyone, I hate myself more for bringing her into my family's life. He further tells the jury that he has even more guilt because because on the way to the hospital to see his mother, he had called Katie looking for some comfort because Katie knew his mom well and even further goes on to tell the jury that sometime after Mary's death, the two of them had sexual intercourse, which proved to the prosecutors that they were correct. Katie was going to do whatever she could to be able to get Adam back. One of their daughters spoke at her sentencing hearing and said that this was the first time in a very long time that she had seen her father cry and this turned him into a broken man. Bill said his wife loved and treated Katie like she was her own daughter and expressed with certainty that she was murdered all because she was in a fight with Adam. Bill was questioned by the defense for a very long time about having an affair with his wife's widowed sister, Kathy, whom he lied about not seeing until after Mary's death even though a woman had testified that she had seen Bill and Kathy together before Mary died. The defense also noted that Bill could have had access to Katie's work laptop and set her up and framed her. Katie's first trial resulted in a hung jury, so there was no verdict, and she was convicted of second-degree murder. Katie's attorney said that after the first trial, he spoke with some of the jurors, and they said that the weakest part of their defense was not choosing to look into Bill more, with some jurors claiming that they had thought he was completely full of it. But Bill was never charged with any crime and he never will be. That's because after Mary's death, Bill testified as a witness at Katie's grand jury hearing, receiving him automatic immunity. 
With no definite justice served, prosecutors were preparing for Katie's second trial and her attorneys would start to blame Adam and argue that he could have easily pinned the evidence in his mother's poisoning on Katie as he could have very easily accessed her work devices that were linked to purchase the anti-gout drug. Katie's defense team also claimed that Adam had physically and sexually abused her, with her attorney saying that he raped and hit her. Adam did admit to hitting Katie once, but denied all the allegations, and Katie's defense dropped the complaint after. But, a prosecution computer witness would later find that Katie's devices had never been hacked by anyone, completely clearing Adam. While her first trial ended in a hung jury, Katie's second trial would end differently. At her second trial in November 2017, Caitlin Connolly was convicted of first-degree manslaughter, and in January 2018, she was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Outlets say that during her sentencing, Mary's daughter Leanna told the judge that Katie showed no signs of remorse and that she and her sister truly believed she was the killer. Prosecutor Lori Lisi said that the detectives were very behind from the start in Mary's case. The biggest complication they had was that Mary died in July of 2015, but her cause of death was not determined until two months later of the same year because nobody in law enforcement was told about the investigation, which left early evidence to dissipate with time. Katie is currently serving time at a correctional facility in Westchester County in New York, according to court documents. She will first be eligible to be considered for parole in 2037. There is still division in the Yoder family, though, as Mary's sisters still don't believe that Katie did it and said that they would fight for her if she appealed her case. However, a judge has denied Katie's attempt to appeal her sentencing multiple times. And in September of 2021, a local New York news station reported that Katie's final attempt to appeal her manslaughter can conviction was denied. It ended with the New York State Appellate Court ruling that the lower courts acted properly in both of her trials, adding that her 23-year sentence was not undoubtedly harsh or severe. Cremaholics, if you haven't already, I highly encourage you one more time to join a Cremaholics podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram at cremaholics.podcast, or if you wish to follow me personally, you can follow me at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I with an underscore. Cremaholics, as always, be aware and take care.